Hey, Christ community, uh, thanks for letting me be a part of your spiritual journey today. So glad you were joining us online. Before we jump into the message, I wanted to highlight a very cool thing that we as a church are involved in during this season. Um, We're calling it Love Gives. We are wanting to bless several children and families at Maplewood Elementary School, as well as some foster families in our community. So we have 123 children that we want to bless with a book and a blanket. And then we have 60 single parent and foster families that we want to bless with a turkey dinner voucher. And so we are asking anyone who wants to contribute to this to do so by going online to our website, to our coming up page, and you can find all the details about Love Gives. We want to be able to give these out the first part of December. So we are receiving these donations during the month of November. Um, I, I encourage you to consider being a part of this amazing opportunity, really, to bless these, these families in our, in our community. Now, that, that opportunity um, fits really well into the current teaching series that we're in. A, a few months ago, I had laid out a teaching series for this season. I had all the weeks and all the topics planned, but, but I just didn't feel settled about it. I didn't feel like it was what the Lord had for us in this season. So I just began to, as I began to seek the Lord about this, I, I really sensed the Holy Spirit leading me to Isaiah chapter 58, which is this fascinating passage where God gives this amazing vision to his people of the kind of influence that he wants them to have. I mean, at at that time, they were most likely in exile in a, a godless place called Babylon with evil and brokenness all around them. And yet, check out what God says to them. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I mean, God gives this amazing, gives us this amazing vision of the kind of influence that he wants us, his people, to have in the midst of the brokenness all around us. He wants us to bring healing and restoration to this broken world in which we live. But there's a problem. So earlier in Isaiah 58, we see that there is something significant that is keeping God's people from being that kind of influence around them. Even though they're praying and they're seeking God and they're fasting, he isn't responding to them. And and, and so he tells them very clearly the reason he's not listening or responding to them. It's about the issue of justice. God says to his people, verse six, verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 58, he says to his people, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. You see, God wants his people to live out his heart of justice. What we've been discovering in this series is that God's definition of justice is often different than our definition. For my entire Christian life, I have thought that God's justice referred only to him punishing evil. God's holy and just and he punishes wrong. I mean, and that is absolutely true, but it is not the complete picture of God's justice. What we see here in this passage we just read and in numerous other passages in the Bible as well is that God's justice is not only about retribution, 
It is also about his heart for the vulnerable, for the needy, for the hungry, for the outcast, for those who are being mistreated. This healing justice is a core part of who God is and who he wants us to be as well so that we can be this healing influence in our community and our world. And so in this series, we've been walking through Isaiah 58 to learn what it looks like from God's perspective to pursue healing justice. Two weeks ago, we focused on verse six and talked about what it looks like for us to set the oppressed free, to be actively working, lifting other people's burdens rather than adding to them. And then last week, Pastor Stetson did a great job exploring verse 7, where God urges us to give of ourselves to those in need of food or clothing or shelter. And by the way, let me just say, if you're interested in doing something in any of these areas, uh, we have put together a resource list of organizations that you can volunteer with. Maybe this is something you would want to do as a family or a small group. You can, you can find that list in the link below this video as well as in our weekly newsletter. Well, today, as we continue through Isaiah 58, we, we are introduced to a third aspect of healing justice. We see this described in verse 9. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So in this verse, God highlights another aspect of healing justice, that is, and, and, and that is our words. Our words. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Do we realize, do we realize that our words can either be contributing to God's healing justice or hindering that? Our words matter far more than we realize. So let's look first at the kind of words that hinder God's healing justice. First, Isaiah mentions words that blame. Words that blame. He says we are to do away with the pointing finger. Oh my goodness, if we did away with this, there would be nothing for the news to report. That <laughs> There would be nothing for people to say on social media. I mean, everyone is blaming everyone else. I mean, just look at people's response to COVID. Now everyone is an expert and trying to pin all this on someone else, right? COVID is Trump's fault. It's Polis's fault. It's the CDC. It's China. It's masks. It's not wearing masks. It's fake news. I mean, when anything goes wrong, when anything isn't working, we instinctively look for someone to blame in our nation, in our marriage, in our workplace. So why do we do this? <clears throat> why do we do this? Well, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What is the first thing that Adam does after God confronts him with his disobedience? He looks for someone to blame, and there weren't many options. Uh, so he blamed Eve. It was her fault. And when God talked to Eve, confronted her, she blamed the serpent. I mean, see, here's the main problem with blaming and why it has such a huge impact on the issue of healing justice. Blaming is an attempt to absolve us of any responsibility. If we can find someone to pin the blame on, we conveniently remove ourselves from having to do anything to solve, to help solve the problem. So blame really creates this relational disconnect between people. It puts people on the defensive, which makes it impossible to move toward a compassionate solution. Now, one of the most insidious aspects of blaming going on today is the labeling of people. 
the labeling of people. Oh, you voted for Biden, you're a Marxist. Oh, you voted for Trump, you're a racist. The, I mean, the labels we use unfairly put people in categories so that we don't even have to hear their, we don't even want to hear their story. We don't even want to hear their perspective. We've already got them pegged. If all we do is keep blaming and labeling people, we create barriers and we honestly close our heart to their situation. If I label every homeless person as being lazy, I feel justified in not doing anything to help them. If I label every person at a Black Lives Matter demonstration as being a violent lawbreaker with a socialist agenda, I don't feel any obligation to look more deeply at why they might be gathering. If I label every undocumented person as an illegal alien who deserves to be thrown in jail, I don't feel any need to listen to their story and find out exactly why they're here. Now, please hear me. I'm not talking about public policy. I'm not talking about encouraging law-breaking, and I'm not making any political statement. I'm just wondering, as followers of Jesus, are we willing to look at the labels we are using and to let the Holy Spirit help us see how those labels may be keeping us from compassionately exploring some people's experience of injustice. The other category of words that hinder healing justice is words of harm. God says to Isaiah in verse 9, if you do away with the pointing finger and malicious talk. This phrase malicious talk literally means speaking evil. It is talking about using words that destroy other people, words that tear them down. Paul t tells the church in Ephesus, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He says, get rid of all slander, along with every form of malice. What Paul is doing here is digging below the surface of our words and forcing us to look at the heart. Paul specifically mentions slander and malice. Those are words that flow from a heart filled with contempt and hatred toward another person. I don't know how to say this any more clearly, but from a biblical perspective, there is absolutely no room for hatred in the heart of a follower of Jesus. None. No, no matter how strongly we disagree with someone, there is no room for hatred. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that if in our anger we call someone a fool, we are in danger of destruction. See, hatred releases destruction and our words become the instrument through which that destruction is delivered. So before you post anything on social media, before you say anything about someone or to someone, do a little heart check. Is there any hatred in my heart toward this person? If there is, do not post or say a word you need to go to Jesus and get your heart right. You need to see this person the way God does. So then 
when you finally get to a place where there is genuine love in your heart towards this person, you can lovingly disagree with them without spewing hatred. When we speak words from a heart filled with hatred toward a person, we're actually hindering the healing justice of God on this broken planet. We're actually contributing to the brokenness. Think about that. We are contributing to the brokenness. You know, I often refer to John Gottman's research on marriage. He, he interviewed thousands of married couples over a period of decades. The data he had was, is unbelievable. And in that process, he discovered four indicators, four incredibly accurate indicators of a marriage that is headed towards divorce. He could predict with 90% accuracy marriages that were, gonna head, that were headed, that were going to get divorced. <clears throat> four indicators. You know what two of those indicators are? Blaming and contempt. The very two things we have just been talking about. I mean, no wonder God says, do away with the pointing finger. Do away with malicious talk. These things actively work against relational healing and societal healing. So what's the alternative? How do we help advance the healing justice of God with our words? Well, for one thing, we are to speak words that build up. Words that build up. There's a fascinating word used in verse 8 of Isaiah 58 where God is describing the kind of influence that we can have. Look at this. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. The, the, the word, this word for healing is a Hebrew word that means wholeness, restoration. Our words can actually bring healing and restoration to people. I and mean, look again at what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. See, Paul is talking about how our words can build up. They can bring healing. They can benefit people. They can bring restoration. When we speak, when we post something on social media, what if we used Ephesians 4.29? What if we used that verse as our criterion? Will my words build other people up? Will my words be beneficial to those who listen, to those who read this. I know, I know some of you are probably thinking, but what if I disagree with someone? Can't I say that on social media? See, one, one of the struggles, one, one, one of my struggles with, with how social media is often used today is that it becomes this platform for people to express their views without having to sit down face to face with someone they disagree with and have a civil dialogue. You know, I wonder, would we say the things we say if we didn't have a computer screen between us and it was just us and another person having a cup of coffee? Suddenly, we're able to see their facial expressions, their body language, and hear their heart. And that, that just tends to make us more careful about what we say and how we say it. We tend to be more intentional about using words that build up rather than using words that hurt and tear down. Yeah, I feel like in many ways, social media gives us this platform to shout at each other rather than to dialogue with each other. I am, I am fully convinced 
that the kind of conversations that will bring healing justice to our nation is not shouting at, but face-to-face dialogue with, where we listen to a person share why they voted the way they did or why they're so passionate about a particular cause that we disagree with. The pointing of the finger and malicious talk create barriers of defensiveness, anger, bitterness. But honest conversations create space for understanding and provide a way to move towards solutions. I mean, that's how the healing that Isaiah talks about can happen. You know, I I think of our Bridge Builders Racial Reconciliation Discussion Group. We meet once a month on Tuesday evening. We're actually meeting this Tuesday. But this week we have two police officers who are just going to be sharing their perspective. And there's going to be a Q&A. There's going to be dialogue. Every time we bring a topic, we're dialoguing about it. I think that's the kind of, con- just a, uh, a picture of the kind of context where words can build up and, and we can move towards solutions and dialogue in healthy ways, even if we disagree. And I believe that kind of thing reflects the heart of what Isaiah is describing here. The other kind of words that can further God's healing justice are words of defense. Words of defense. In Isaiah chapter 1, which is a parallel passage to Isaiah 58, similar dynamic going on. People are saying, why aren't you listening to us? And God says, here's why. God says to his people, Isaiah 1, he says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. He says something similar in Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. See, notice here, this is important. God is not saying to us, be silent. Oh, don't say anything. Don't rock the boat. No, no, he's not saying that. God is saying, I want you to use your voice to speak up for those who are victims of injustice. I want you to use your voice to defend the rights of those who are being taken advantage of. In in the speaking up described in these passages, there are a couple of important things to notice. One, there is a clear sense that God is very comfortable using the legal system to promote justice. The language here in these passages speaks of legal, a legal process, pleading someone's cause, defending someone. So our legal system in our country, it's not perfect, but it is based on God's heart for justice. It is founded upon these biblical principles of God's heart for justice. So for instance, God's hatred of bribes being made. Why does God talk about bribes? It's because because in a system where bribery happens, the rich get off scot-free. They can afford to pay someone off, but the poor don't get off scot-free, right? And so it's it's not a fair system. So in in, in any kind of system where deception is allowed to happen, vulnerable people get hurt in the process. So our legal system is specifically designed to help the vulnerable not be taken advantage of. It provides a way for injustice to be examined rather than for it to be swept under the rug. So it it gives people a voice. So defending the vulnerable with our words may involve legal processes. That's not a bad thing. It is a God-given thing. The other aspect described here of using our words to defend 
others is the relational context of Isaiah's words. The, the language Isaiah uses here and, and Solomon also in Proverbs 31, it's very personal. Plead the case of the widow. Defend the cause of the fatherless. I mean, the implication is that these are people you know. This is your neighbor. This is the, 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 the person that you met at school. These are people all around us. And God is saying, I want you to have the courage to use your words to stand up for and to stand with these people who are being mistreated. Be their voice for the woman who's being overlooked for promotions at work because she is a woman. You can be a voice for her. For the pregnant teenager who's been ostracized by her family because of her pregnancy, you can lovingly advocate for her and her unborn child. For the gay teenager who's being bullied at school, for the Muslim refugee who's being taken advantage of financially by their landlord, we can use our words to defend their dignity. This isn't about whether or not we agree with a person's lifestyle or their religious beliefs. This is about a fundamental, biblically rooted conviction that every person is created in the image of God and because of that deserves to be treated with dignity. Let's not miss what God is saying to us. Our words are a powerful instrument God has given us to help bring healing justice to this broken world. So when we use our words to blame, to label, to express malice and contempt, we are causing brokenness. We are hindering God's healing and restoration, and it breaks God's heart. But when we use our words to build up and to defend the vulnerable, we become participants in the healing work of Jesus in our families, our workplace, our community, our world. I remember hearing a Christian leader named Jeff Rosenau share his story about how years ago he became very concerned about some unhealthy philosophies that about sexuality that were being promoted in schools to vulnerable children, young children. And he wanted to do something about this. So he set his sights on a particular national organization that was promoting this stuff. And he just began meeting with teachers and people in legislature, parents, anyone he could, who would listen, just sharing his concerns. And he admits that he was very critical and judgmental of this organization and, and the people that were making these decisions about this curriculum. So in, in the midst of all of this, he was spending some time with a mentor one day, and one of his men, this mentors said to him, you know, all you want to do is fight. All you want to do is fight. And he, he thought to himself, absolutely, this battle, this is a battle that we need to fight. But then he began to seek the Lord about what his mentor had said, and God began to show him that in his zeal for truth, he had no compassion for the people with whom he disagreed. God began to remind him how much God loves these people, even if they were being deceived in some way. So he got on the phone and he called the executive director of this organization that he was actively working against. And he asked her if she would be willing to meet, to talk, just to dialogue. So they did that. They met one time. And then that led to another meeting, another meeting. They, over, the, over the next year, they spent over 20 hours meeting together and in that process, they discovered common ground. They both wanted healthier young people and a healthier society. Although they didn't agree on many things, she was willing to make significant revisions to the sex ed curriculum, agreeing with some of Jeff's concerns. So at one point, she said to him, 
or she acknowledged to him that in the 20 year, the 22 years that she has been, she had been in this position, this was the first time anyone in the opposing camp had ever come to her to dialogue about their concerns and have an honest communication, an honest conversation, an honest communication about that. The first time, 22 years. Our words matter. Not only what we say, but how we say it matters. The question is, are our words contributing to God's healing justice all around us? Or are they hindering that? Let's pray together. So as we quiet our hearts in prayer and response to God's word, I want us to just sit for a moment with the Holy Spirit and let him speak to our hearts. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you and me about our words? Have we blamed people so as to avoid looking at our own contribution? Have we labeled people? Have we spoken with a malicious spirit? Have our words built people up and brought healing and life? Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a moment. I think we all can recognize our words have not always been helpful in this area of justice. But here's the good news. Jesus forgives our sin. <laughs> and he gives us his spirit to help us walk in fullness of love and life. So we're going to take a few moments to partake of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> if you need to go get bread and juice, feel free to hit the pause button on this recording and get what you need. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we not only remember the life Jesus has given for us on the cross, we also receive afresh his love and grace and power to actually live differently, to speak words of life and healing. So I want us to take a moment and quietly, just in the quiet of your heart, and I'm gonna do this as well, just confess to Jesus any ways that our words have torn down, that our words have not been helpful. Let's just ask him to forgive and cleanse us. Now take the bread which represents Jesus' body given for you. And eat this in remembrance of him. Now take the juice, which represents Jesus' blood shed for you and me. And let's drink this in remembrance of him. Friends, you are washed. You are 
are forgiven. You are the beloved of God. His spirit lives in you. Let him fill you and use your words to bring healing and life to our broken world. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that that would be the case. You would thank you for cleansing us and forgiving us. And thank you for inviting in inviting us to participate with you in in this ministry of healing justice through our words. May our words build up and encourage others. So fill us, Holy Spirit. We love you. God, we worship you. Thank you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. Thank you for giving your life on the cross for us, Jesus. We Thank you.